greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we looked at the definition and description of faith as we looked at the theme, faith towards God. In this broadcast, we shall be looking at the direction and object of faith under the global theme, faith towards God. But before we go into that, let's do a quick review of what we did last week. We defined faith, looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, as the confidence that we have that what we expect will indeed come to pass. We also said that it's the conviction that we have that what we cannot see indeed exists. And from that, we made clear that faith is tangible. It's something you can take to the bank. We said that faith is true, that it is real. There's no falsehood in faith. It's not a fable. It is true. We said that faith is truth. It is not deception. It is what comes from God. And then finally, we noted that faith directs our actions. In other words, when you see somebody who is exhibiting faith, you would know that by the actions he's taking. With that background of the definition of faith, the description of faith, and that faith shows or manifests by the actions that we take, let us go now to what we want to discuss today, which is the direction and object of faith. Now, we lump these two together because you cannot be going in a direction where the object is different. The direction of faith is towards that object. And so we have the theme, faith towards God. So the direction of faith is God. The object of faith is God. The psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from God, which made the heavens and the earth. What is he saying there? Because he asked the question, from whence cometh my help? So I'm lifting up my eyes to the hills, to the mountains. Not because my help comes from the hill, but my help is coming from God who is above. My eye seems to be lifted up towards the hill, but no, I'm not looking up to the hill. I'm looking up to God. The direction of the faith of the psalmist was God, not the mountain. And so the issue that we want to discuss here is what is the direction and object of your faith? Is it towards men? Is it towards a church? Is it towards a pastor? Is it towards a denomination? Is it towards science? And so on and so forth. These are issues that we want to look at. But let's briefly look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, and then we'll now go over and look at some issues in that regard. Deuteronomy chapter 13, I'll be reading from verse 1 through to maybe verse 18. If there arises among you a prophet or dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is as your own soul secretly entices you saying, let us go 
and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you, or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, and you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear, and not again do such wickedness as this among you. If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you, and enticed the inhabitants of that city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and its livestock with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street, and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, to do what is right, in the eyes of the Lord your God. When we look at scriptural faith, we discover that God jealously guides himself as the object of our faith. Here he warns them that if somebody you know entices you after prophesying and he comes back and now tells you to go after a God that God did not say this is a God to you, that fellow must be dealt with. That fellow must be killed. And he said, if that fellow were your brother, your sister, your spouse, your bosom friend, one who is close to you, your father, your mother, whoever, your son, your daughter, you shall be the first to throw the stone and make sure that he is killed. And then he goes on to say that if you hear that a city has been sold over to idolatry, you will go to that city amongst you and slaughter them. Why? The focus has to be on God and his word. God does not want us to deviate from the pursuit of God. In fact, when God says, I am a jealous God, what God is saying is that he cannot be shared with any other person. So you cannot say, for example, that you are a worshiper of God and then you have another God that you are worshiping. You are going to draw the anger and jealousy of God. God is not jealous the way a man is jealous, where a woman finds that the husband is cheating on her and she goes to beat up the other woman. No, 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 no. You will attack that man and may attack the woman. In this particular case, God is saying, deal with that fellow that misled you. And if a whole city has been misled, deal with that city as well. Because that city has been corrupted, has been contaminated. So the focus of God, as far as is concerned, is himself. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says, Now the just shall live by faith. Who is the just? One who has been born again. One who has been justified by faith. He shall live by faith. He will not live any other way. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So the object of our faith has to be God. The direction of our faith has to be towards God. We cannot have another direction except towards God. The just shall live by his faith towards God. If he doesn't, 
then God doesn't have pleasure in such a person. For example, when you go to church, who are you going to meet? If you are going to meet with God, God has pleasure in you. But if you're going to church, it's because you want to go and meet with a man, then God has no pleasure in you. So if you were to go to church, for example, and your favorite pastor or favorite preacher is not the one preaching and it's somebody else, if you cannot sit down there and listen, then your faith is not towards God. Your faith is towards that your favorite preacher and your faith, therefore, is vain. Our faith must therefore be to God. We must go to God in faith. We are not to go to God any other way but in faith. The Bible says no man has at any time seen God. It is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made him known. Now, the fact that we don't see him does not mean that we do not exhibit our faith towards him. In fact, that is what makes faith faith. That we don't see God yet, we believe him. In First Peter chapter 1, reading at verse 8, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, says, Whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. True salvation is because we believe, not because we see. You will recall in John's gospel, when the Lord appeared to the ten, but Thomas was not there. And then when Thomas came, they told him that the Lord had appeared. And Thomas said, except I put my finger through his side and through his hands, I will not believe. Then the Lord appeared when Thomas was there. The Lord said to him, Thomas, I'm here. Come and put your hands through my wounds on my hands and my side so that you can believe. I said, oh, my Lord and my God said, oh, you believe now because you see. So, but blessed is he that believes even though he does not see. So the true blessing is in our faith towards God even though we do not see. We must believe. That means we must accept the word of God for what God has said to us about himself. We must accept because to believe is to accept it, own it, take it as this is God's word to me. Our faith is not towards science. I find a lot of people trying to justify things that have been written in the Bible by bringing archaeological finds and so on and so forth. Let us make certain things clear. Science is not a perfect field of study. Science also makes mistakes. And so to rely on science would be foolhardy. Science has many times predicted itself. When it said, oh, this was this, and then it turns tomorrow again and says it is not so. So your faith should not be towards science. You cannot use science to prove the Bible. The Bible proves itself. The Bible is its own proof. The Bible tells us that at the witness of two or three, let every word be established. When you read through scripture, you will find the evidence of scripture supporting itself. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, scripture always supports itself. And so you don't need to go outside of the scriptures to find out about God. It's all in the scripture. Your faith must not be towards the things you learned in school. It is in school that we are told the theory of the Big Bang, how the world scattered and somehow they have perfect spherical shapes all over the place. And that is how the world came about. Some others brought up the theory of planktons becoming living creatures, becoming fish which became mammals, which became apes, which now became human beings that are now walking upright. That is not what we are talking about here. We believe what God says about how the world was formed. That in six literal days, God spoke and what we have as the world today was formed. That is faith. Faith does not require that we trust in what the experts are saying. No, even if what the experts are saying makes sense, we must go to God and find out what God is saying. This is the very essence of faith towards God. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, and you have come into Christ, the object of your faith must be God. The direction of your faith must be towards that object that is God. You cannot take science or any other person's word, 
no matter how possible it may sound, until you have confirmed it from God himself. That shows your faith is toward God. We are not to have our faith towards our experiences. The fact that you experience something does not make it the experience that you ought to have. The Bible tells us about Sarah being barren, but one day God came and said, you will have a child. And she did at the age of 90. She had a child at the age of... Even Sarah herself was asking, how is this old man of 99 going to have the strength to even come and have any intercourse with me, let alone produce a child? But at 90, not only did she get pregnant and conceive, but she brought forth a child. She pushed that child herself and brought forth a child at the age of 90. Why? Because God gave them strength. Why? Because Abraham believed in God. His trust was in God, not in the experience of man. Men may tell you that your ovaries are dead. They may tell you that your husband has low sperm count. That is just man talking. With God, nothing shall be impossible. I remember many years ago, a friend of mine had just gotten married then and the wife was finicky about getting pregnant and the doctor told the husband that he had low sperm count and that he needed to take some drugs. The guy told the doctor, he said, if God cannot increase my sperm count, then your drugs are not going to do anything. The very next week, the wife took it without drugs. There's the case of another lady whom they had told the husband to bring his sperm in a condom so that they could use to, to fertilize the woman. The husband, who at the time was not even a Christian, said to the woman who happened to be a Christian that if the God you are going after every week cannot do it, is it that doctor? She got angry, went overseas to calm down because she was really embittered. Then she fell ill while abroad. So she went to the hospital to be treated for her ailment. And the doctors told her that ah, you are not ill, you are just pregnant. She couldn't believe it. So let us understand this, that your faith is not towards experiences. Your faith is towards God. Your faith is not towards observations. Sometimes we observe things in life. We see how things happen to A or B or C, and then we draw it as an experience and our faith is on that. We see a lot of that in our preaching today. Many pastors are quick to point to successful people, in quotes, successful in the world, how they became great, just to motivate us. But true success is of the Lord. The Bible says that vain is the help of man. The Bible makes it clear that you may have strength in horses, but true deliverance comes from the Lord. So from the time you became born again, you must believe, you must accept that only what God says and nothing else is what matters. Now, this can be a very tall order, especially if the flesh has not been crucified. Because the flesh is used to a particular way of doing things. It's used to seeing things to believe. But when you became born again, what even brought you to salvation was faith. As a result of the grace of God coming upon you, you cannot quarrel with the word of God and then claim to have faith in God. You can't. If you don't agree or subscribe to the word of God, then your faith is not towards God. Your faith is towards yourself. You are believing yourself and not the word of God. We not only go to God in faith, we must also grow in faith toward God. It's one thing to say, I have faith in God. But are you growing in your faith towards God? The basis of that growth is relationship with God. It's not based on someone else's experience. A lot of us believe in God based on what somebody told us. And that's a very good place to start. But it does not allow you to grow in faith towards God. If you are going to grow in faith towards God, you must have a personal experience of God. For example, nobody can tell you what I would do in certain circumstances better than my wife. Why? Because of the relationship that we have. She knows me better than any other person. 
In the same way, you cannot depend on somebody else's experience of God as your experience of God. You must have your own experience of God. And that comes by relationship. When you became born again, you became a child of God with all the paraphernalia entitled to a personal, private relationship with God. In fact, your going to church is meant to help you to enter into that relationship as best as you should. It's not meant to limit you. It's not meant to obstruct you, but to aid you. So why should your faith be towards God? That is, why should you trust in God? Why should you depend on God? Why should your reliance be on God and not on anyone else? Why must it be only God and not anyone else? In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus Christ to die for us while we were still sinners to remove sin from our lives. He is deserving of our faith. He didn't wait for us to get better. While we were sinners, he sent Christ. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, spoke about people who were always saying that they are of this denomination, they are of Paul, they are of Apollos, they are of Peter, and so on and so forth. He said, did Paul die for you? Did Cephas die for you? It is Christ that died for us. Our entire being is about God showing his love towards us. If God showed such love towards us, sinners, and brought us to salvation by giving us the gift of faith. By the way, he gave us the gift of faith. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, he said, you are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is a gift from God that no man should boast. You cannot say, this is the man that brought me to Christ. No, he may have preached the message. It is God that brought you to Christ, not a man. Your faith should be towards God, not towards the man that preached. You can appreciate God, for the life of that brother or that sister who preached to you and brought you to the saving knowledge of Christ, we thank God for that. But your faith must be towards God, not towards that fellow. Another reason why our faith is to be towards God is because the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, from verse 1 to 3, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. There was not anything made that was made without Him. So because the person we are asking you to believe is the one that made all things, including yourself, that's why you should have faith towards him. Because he made you. He made the devil. He made everything in the world. He's the one who made it from the very beginning. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, the Bible says, For by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. The elders of scripture were approved by God because of their faith in God. Noah found grace in God. He believed God and he was saved. Abraham believed God and went to a land that he knew nothing about. When God said go, he just carried the blood and went. That is how they got their approval. Enoch walked with God 300 years and nobody saw him. Why? Because God took him. By faith, the people of old were approved of God. By faith, you and I will be approved of God. Your approval is by faith in God. If you like, go to church 10,000 times. If you like, build the biggest churches in the world. Do everything you want to do. But if your faith is not towards God, you are not approved of God. You are not approved of God because of what you are doing. You are approved of God because you believe God. The Bible says Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. In verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you want to please God, it is faith. That's why you must have faith towards God. 
You cannot please God by singing in the choir. God is not pleased because you are singing. Many people sing. God is not pleased because you are preaching. God is pleased because you have faith in him. Because you trust him. And this trust is seen when you face life's challenges. That's when you show your faith in God. Why should we have faith towards God? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. If God cares for you, who else would you put your faith in? Somebody who doesn't care for you? You put your faith in the one who cares for you. This is why your faith must be towards God, because he cares for you. He is concerned for you. That's why he says, cast all your cares upon me. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, sorry, Proverbs 11, 28, speaking about riches here, the Bible says, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. If your faith is in money, you will fall. Or except your faith is in God, you are going to have problems. You are going to be disappointed. Your expectations will fail. You may be rich. There's nothing wrong in being rich. However, your faith must not be in your wealth. In 1 Timothy, let's read that. 1 Timothy chapter 6 from 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age. He's speaking to Christians here, rich Christians, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches. It's uncertain. So you cannot trust in something that is uncertain. He says, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, it's God that gave them that wealth. Not just for the enjoyment, but for other things. It goes for them, verse 18. It says, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. God is not saying that if you are rich and you give to the pastor, he's going to bless you. No! He says, do good. Look for the poor and take care of them. A lot of pastors are just greedy and over bloated with all kinds of things that they are giving to them. Give to the poor. I agree that there are pastors who when you bless them, they bless the poor. I have no quarrel with those people. But there are some who are just plain greedy. Don't put your trust in money. Your trust is in God, not in money. It is God that gave you the wealth. Put your trust in God. That wealth one day will fly. The Bible says riches, they make themselves wings and they fly away to heaven. And they don't even take the people who own them anywhere. In Psalm 33, verse 16 and 17, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. A king does not put his trust in an army. A king must put his trust in God. A military man must put his trust in God. In Proverbs chapter 21, Verse 31, the Bible says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverances of the Lord. We have seen people who have built fortresses, and yet those fortresses were broken through. Why? Because God gave them the victory. So it is not the military arsenal that we have. It is God who gives victory. We've seen with COVID-19 what is happening. All the arsenals in the world that can destroy this world cannot even fight a virus. Put your trust in God. Don't put your trust in any other thing. Salvation is of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 18 verse 10 and 11 the bible says the name of the lord is a strong tower the righteous run to it and are safe the rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem he's talking of the rich man whose trust is in his wealth since like a high wall in his own esteem however the righteous man his trust in god is indeed a strong tower nobody can break through that tower but it doesn't matter how much wealth you have it can be devastated. A small famine from God will turn that money to nothing. So put your trust in the Almighty God. Finally, in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, the Bible tells us that there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved but the name of Jesus. 
your faith in God, your faith in the salvation of God through Jesus Christ is what counts. We are talking here of eternity. We are not talking of church attendance. We are talking of that unseen place, heaven. We are speaking again of hell, that unseen place. We are speaking of the God unseen who judges and sends people either to heaven or to hell. It is your faith in God that gets you into heaven. And your lack of faith in God will take you to hell. Even if you attend church, it will not save you from hell if you don't have faith in God. This is the essence of faith towards God. God is saying, everything you need is in me. Trust me. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He wasn't righteous, but God accounted his faith in him for righteousness. Abraham believed everything that God said. That's why he was said to be righteous. Indeed, a friend I am not a friend of God because I go to church. I'm not a friend of God because I read the Bible every day. No, I'm a friend of God because I believe God. I put my trust in him. I am convinced that he is who he says he is. I am convinced that except I put my trust in him, I will not get into heaven. I am convinced about it. Irrefutably convinced. You must be also. We spoke about going to God in faith. But what is important is growing in faith towards God. And so we want to look at how do I grow in faith towards God. And then we'll give it a wrap. And by the grace of God, next week we'll deal with something else still on faith towards God. In the book of Joshua, we've mentioned this several times. We see how Rahab came about the decision that indeed God had given them Jericho and that God was the true God and that he, she wanted to be rescued by them when they came to the city. What was it that happened? She said she heard. I don't think she was born when that happened. That, was, that must have been some 40 years before when they heard that the Red Sea was dried up, that they crossed, and that Pharaoh and his army tried it, and they were swallowed up. Then they heard, they must have heard all kinds of stories of their wilderness wanderings. There are people in the wilderness just moving around the place, but some things are happening. They heard about how the Amalekites attacked them, and how they repelled the attack, and they, they must have heard about Balaam, Balak, and how they destroyed those nations. They also heard about Sihon and Og, and she said, definitely this is going to happen. So how do I grow in faith towards God? By hearing about the experience of other people with God. You hear what others have experienced with God. You know that definitely there's something about it. It's good to hear what God has done in other people's lives. And it begins to help you to grow in faith towards God. In Luke chapter 1, from verse 30 to 55, when the angel Gabriel went to Mary and told Mary that she was going to have a child. And that Mary said, but I'm a virgin. I mean, I've never known a man. Am I going to have a child? She said, don't worry. With God, nothing is impossible. And Mary said, be it unto me according to your words. And then the angel said to Mary, look, your cousin, Elizabeth, the one who is known as barren, she's actually pregnant right now, about five months pregnant. And the next day, Mary grabbed her things and ran to look for Elizabeth. And indeed, found that she was five months pregnant. And the Bible even records that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy. And Elizabeth as well began to prophesy that how is it that the mother of my Lord will come and visit me? Sometimes God will lead us to go to people who have first-hand experience of God. Mary here had to see for herself first-hand experience. I'm a virgin, never met with a man, I'm going to have a child. Then there's somebody who has passed the age of childbearing in her own generation. And she is pregnant with a child. Her faith bolstered. She grew in faith towards God. That what God had said to her will surely happen. This is the true value of testimonies. Testimony is not supposed to be that if you don't testify, that thing will come back to you. No, 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 no. Those are men trying to get themselves rewards or accolades that things are happening through them. No. A testimony is there to help your faith 
towards God to grow. As people share their testimony, your faith should grow. A lot of the testimonies we're hearing today are actually false. That's why nobody's edified by them. Sometimes they even pay people to come and lie. When somebody's sharing his testimony, it builds faith in you. It helps you to go to God and say, Lord, you did it for this person, you will do it for me. In Acts chapter 27, verse 9 to 32, and then if you go to Joshua chapter 4, verse 1 to 7 and 20 to 23, we see in Acts 27 how Paul began to recount his encounter with God, his experience of God. In Joshua chapter 4, we read about how God led them to the other side of the Jordan, the things that he did and how he said that they should put stones of remembrance. You grow in faith as you remember the faithfulness of God in your life. You must have, as a Christian, the things that God had done in your life over time. Stories, what we call stones of remembrance. There's a hymn that says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Christians today have a penchant for complaint, grumbling, and murmuring. And the scriptures warn us not to do those things because people died doing that. Instead, we should give thanks. The Bible says, give thanks for everything. Give thanks in every situation, in every circumstance. Whilst you are in that thing, give thanks. That's the proper attitude. Remember the faithfulness of God. As you remember the faithfulness of God, your faith towards God is growing. We need to do more of that. When you knew God as a newborn child, but born again afresh, you must have had experiences of God. His faithfulness. What did he do in your life? How is that in your own life? What do you know of those things? Testify for yourself of the faithfulness of God in your life, and you will grow in faith. Many a times when I face life's challenges, I remember, is this not the same God who passed me through this and brought me out of it on the other end? He is able to do this also. And my faith is bolstered because I know it's the same God. It's not a different God. It's the same God. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 to 21, after the Lord Jesus Christ had come down from the mountain, he found his disciples struggling with a boy who was epileptic. And then he eventually healed the boy. And the disciples came to him and said, Why were we not able to do it? He said, Because of your unbelief. But that this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, what is he saying there? There is unbelief, a doubt that will not go except we are praying and we are fasting. Doesn't mean that you're going to fast every time. But as you are praying, sometimes you get to the place where you fast. It breaks down every barrier of unbelief in your life. Shatters it apart. And then faith is able to pass through and get to you. In Jude chapter 1 verse 20, the Bible says, Praying in the Holy Ghost, building up yourself in your most holy faith. You need the prayers. You need the fast. As you do all of that, you are growing in faith towards God. Have you been praying? Whenever you face a low time in your life, when it seems like you're finding it difficult to believe God, get yourself into a room, get yourself into a quiet place and begin to pray in the spirit. A day's fast or two days fast will not be a bad idea as well. But get there and begin to pray and begin to trust God. Just talk to God in the spirit. He will break through every barrier and bolster your faith in him. In 1 John chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 3, the Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You can grow in faith as you hear 
the testimony of people who have experienced God, who have tasted of the goodness of God, who have handled him. There's a way you will know that this fellow has seen God. He has touched God. He has experienced God. He's not just mouthing it. Those people who have had first-hand experience, go with them. Listen to them. When we read their books, we grow in faith, not reckless faith. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Hebrews 10, 25, the Bible admonishes us. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean? Because we must always congregate in church. Maybe, maybe not. But small fellowship, meeting with another Christian, even a phone call to a fellow brother, a fellow sister, a godly brother, a godly sister, having a word with that person, talking to that person, and that person sharing their experience with you will bolster your faith. You need to grow in faith towards God. It's not just to come in and then sit down. No, you must grow in faith towards God. Many of the messages that I hear on radio and on TV don't bolster anybody's faith. There are still few people though who preach the truth that is in the word of God. That their messages edify you. They build in you faith. If a message is not building faith in you towards God, but building faith towards you towards a man, that message is not of God. The message of God builds faith in you towards God. That is what the message does. It builds faith in you and brings you to God. Any message that does not take you to God, discard it. Any book you are reading that does not challenge you to seek God the more, discard that book. The truth is, if a book, a message does not build you, does not challenge you to grow in faith towards God, it is not of God. Because everything that God does is to bring you to Him. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, read that already, the B part. It says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not those who casually seek him, but those who diligently, those who painstakingly, who hang in there and seek him. Bible tells us about Mary Magdalene, that the Lord had been crucified and been buried, and she went to the tomb and didn't find him. She ran and told the disciples, and Peter and John ran there. When they ran into the, they found an empty place and said, it's true, he's not there. And they left. But Mary refused. She stood there and began to weep. Where have they taken him? Then she met a man and thought it was the gardener. And said, tell me where you have taken his body. I will go and bring the body. Can you imagine a small woman saying, I will go and bring the body. When the men have left. And then she heard the gardener speak to her, Mary. And she knew the voice. I said, my Lord, said, don't touch me. I have not yet appeared to my father. Go and tell my brothers and Peter that I will meet them in Nazareth. Why? She diligently sought and she found him. When we talk of diligently seeking the Lord, when we talk of people who believe that God exists, because if you don't believe that God exists, you will not diligently seek him. Because they believe that he exists, they diligently seek him. We are speaking here of knowing God. We are speaking here of the knowledge of God. Intimacy. We're not just speaking of a casual knowing. No, 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 no. We're speaking of intimacy. If you are intimate with God, you will desire him. The psalmist says, As the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after the Lord. In John chapter 4, when the Lord had that encounter with the Samaritan woman, and the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's from verse 19 of John chapter 4. I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The Lord was saying to this woman, your knowledge of God will let you know that location is not the issue. It is your heart that is the issue. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. 
Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. This is what God expects us to do in the church, to bring people to him, to get them to want to know him. When you are born again, your first task is to know God. It's not to know a church. I see so many people more interested when they are teaching people about their church doctrine. No, people are not supposed to come to your church for your church doctrine. The doctrine of the church is in the Bible. Get them to the Bible. Get them to the word of God. Encourage them to grow in the knowledge of God. Can you imagine a child who at 21, 23, 25 is not able to wash his own clothes? He's not able to fend for himself. At the end of school, he will pack all his dirty clothes back home for his mother to wash or to put in the washing machine. That boy has not been trained. He cannot survive on his own except his parents are there. That fellow has not been properly trained. In the same way, if you are a Christian, you must be groomed to pray to God for yourself. To know God for yourself. To read the Bible for yourself. Not for what others are telling them to do. In John chapter 10, verse 3 and verse 5, speaking of the shepherd and the sheep, it says to him, that is to the shepherd, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Let me read verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. The question is, do you know the voice of God? That is what intimacy brings. We're not talking of just the sound. But do you know how God speaks? Do you know the kind of thing that God would say? How can somebody say, God told me to divorce my wife? That's not God. Even if you disobeyed God and you married somebody else, that does not mean that God will tell you to divorce that person. You are married, you are married. You must know the voice of God. You must know the character of the voice of God. We're not talking of a sound. Satan can mimic it. But you must know the character of the voice of God. The voice of God cannot ask you to sin. The Bible says that God is not tempted of sin, neither will he tempt any man to sin. God does not do that. So you must know the character of the voice of God. And all that is because you are having fellowship with God, because you are intimate with him. It's not enough to say, I've gone to God in faith. You must also grow faith towards God. Our faith towards God implies, and I'm concluding now, that we have faith in no one else, including yourself, your academic laurels, or your standing in society. You cannot have faith in that. When we say faith towards God, we mean faith in God and God alone. Not even in yourself. You don't trust yourself. You cannot trust yourself. You trust God and God alone. Not even a man of God. You can't trust even a man of God. Even the most potent of the men of God in the world, you can't trust them. I close with the story in 1 Kings chapter 13 of a young man of God, an upcoming young man of God. The Lord sent him from Judah to go to Israel in the days of Jeroboam. Jeroboam the first. Jeroboam was sacrificing to an idol, one of his gold calves in Samaria. And this man of God went there and prophesied to the altar as God had told him. While he was doing that, Jeroboam pointed his finger at the man of God and said, arrest him. His finger just held there. Stood there, firm. He couldn't pull it back. He shouted to the man of God. The man of God prayed to God and his hands released. And Jeroboam said to the man of God, come home and I'll give you whatever you want up to half. The man of God said, no. God has told me that once I finish, I shall return and I must not pass the same route that I took in coming. I must go another way and I'm not to take anything, not water, not food, not anything in this place and to return. And he left. Meanwhile, there was an old prophet in that town. His children were present at the idolatry 
of Jeroboam. They ran home and said to their father, Daddy, we saw something today. One small boy came and as the king pointed at him, the king could not remove his hand. This boy, we couldn't believe it. The boy prayed to God and the king's hand was, was returned. The king wanted to bless the boy. The boy said no and the boy left. So the father said, where did the boy pass? They showed him the direction. The father mounted on his ass. An old prophet, that old prophet was there. God did not send that old prophet. He sent that young boy. He mounted his ass and got to the boy. And so he said, are you the man of God that came? He said, yes, return with me now and come and eat. He said, no, 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 I'm not, I cannot. He said, God spoke to me that I should bring you back, that you should come and eat. The Bible recorded there that. But he lied to the boy. And the boy followed that man back and ate. As he was eating, God now spoke through that old prophet to that boy. I said, I told you not to eat in this place or to come back. I told you to go out of this place, but you came to eat. As you are going, a lion will meet you on the road and kill you. You are not going to get to Judah. That same old man prophesied to that boy. And as that boy went, a lion killed him. What's the point I'm trying to make here? God spoke to you knowing that those prophets were there. He didn't speak to the prophets. The day God wanted to speak to Samuel, Eli was there. He didn't call Eli. He kept calling Samuel. Even when Samuel did not know that God was calling him, he kept calling Samuel. And as it turned out, what God told Samuel, he couldn't have told Eli to tell Samuel. God wants to speak to you personally, but you need to grow in your faith towards God. We must end this reliance on man of God. You also, you're a man, a woman of God. I'm not asking you to be rebellious against church authority. No! I'm saying to you that if your church authority is not leading you to God, he is misleading you. He is the kind of person that was described in John chapter 13 that we read earlier. He's misleading you. He's asking you to go after another God that you do not know. And the Lord is saying to you, turn to me, turn to my word and all will be well with you. My prayer is that your faith henceforth will be turned in the direction of God and not in the direction of a man or science or books, but God. Even when you read a book, it must point you to God. When you read the Bible, it always points you to God. always points you to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are reading the Bible and you're not finding that, you need to pray to God. Say, Lord, from now on, when I read the pages of the Bible, show me Christ. Show me yourself in the Bible. God bless you.